I now can sing since I've been redeemed. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. I faith in Christ, my Redeemer King. I'm on the everlasting, everlasting rock. This is the voice of hope. Then roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock of ages. Roll, roll, billows roll. I'm on the everlasting rock. I will call upon the Lord. I will call for the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. The Lord liveth, and blessed be the rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord. I will call upon the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? Who is worthy to so shall I be so shall I be saved from my enemies I will call upon the Lord the Lord liveth and blessed be the rock let the God of my salvation be exalted the Lord liveth and blessed be the rock let the God of my salvation be exalted I will call upon the Lord I will call upon the Lord I will call upon the Lord the Thank you, men, for encouraging us to call on the Lord, and thank you for joining me here on The Voice of Hope. I trust you had a blessed time celebrating the birth of our Savior. You know that event changed the course of human history, and it changed the personal history of everyone who exercises faith for salvation and obedient discipleship. This program was produced by Heralds of Hope. We're an international media ministry sharing the gospel around the world in English and 25 other languages. I'm J. Mark Horst, your friend and Bible teacher. If you're tuning in for the first time, we're currently studying in the Gospel of Mark. You've missed several episodes of this teaching, but you can catch up whenever you want to just by visiting our website, heraldsofhope.org. That web address again is heraldsofhope.org. Now let's get started with today's teaching. What comes to your mind when you hear the word ministry or minister? An organization? Or maybe a position of leadership? Something else? Some organizations use the word ministry in their official name. At Heralds of Hope, we're an international gospel ministry using media to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And in 2001, I was ordained as a minister of the gospel for my role with Heralds of Hope. Now, both of these are common understandings of the words ministry or minister. But what's really at the root of this idea of being a minister or engaging in ministry? The primary word that the New Testament uses, including in Mark's gospel, 
is the word diakonos, or some variation of it, and it's most often translated into English as the word servant. It's transliterated from Greek to English as the word deacon. Now, you may have a deacon or deacons in your church, and theirs is a ministry of help and service in the local congregation. In Mark chapter 10 and verse 45, Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Or as the New King James Version puts it, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, in my opinion, one of the mistakes we've made in the church is to define ministry as full-time Christian service. But you see what that does? It separates people into classes. It makes a distinction between what we sometimes call the sacred and the secular. But the Bible doesn't teach any such distinctions. This can leave the mistaken impression that full-time ministry is something more special or more desirable than working in a trade or a profession. It artificially elevates people, and then because of that, pride becomes an issue. I know, because I've seen it in others, and I've had to deal with it in my own life. Right now, I encourage you to get your Bible in hand or open the app on your phone so you can follow along with me as I read our text for today. In this episode of our study from Mark's Gospel, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 1 and verses 35 to 45. I've titled our study, The Ministry of the Servant. Now, based on my opening comments, that may seem a bit redundant, but I think you'll understand my logic as we dig into this text together. So that's Mark chapter 1, beginning at verse 35 and reading to the end of the chapter. And here is God's word to us. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him, and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. In this text, Mark's record of Jesus' early ministry in Galilee provides a template for you and me to follow in our service for Christ. The three parts of the template for us to use in ministry are 
cultivated by prayer, communicated by preaching, and confirmed by compassion. So the first part of the template for the ministry of the servant is cultivated by prayer. Now just prior to our text, in fact it was the night before, Jesus had healed many people and cast out many demons. And since this healing service only began after the sun went down, we can assume that that meeting didn't break up until late in the night. So after a long day of intense ministry that must have been exhausting, Jesus most likely went to bed late in the night. Now you might say, oh, but Jesus is God, so that shouldn't be a problem. Well, hold on a minute. Jesus was in a human body, and he was subject to its limitations. The scriptures make it clear that Jesus experienced all the things you and I do in regard to our humanity. And the kind of ministry that Jesus was doing was physically, mentally, and emotionally draining. But in spite of that, the text tells us that he was up very early the next morning before dawn. And the reason he got up so early? To spend time alone with his father. He went to a deserted place, a solitary place, to pray. This is the first record we have of what will become a pattern in Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus fostered the growth and the effectiveness of his ministry through prayer. That's cultivation. He wanted his work to be as fruitful as possible. And so do you. So do I, don't we? So when the disciples awakened that morning, they expected Jesus to be there in the house with them. But he was nowhere to be found. And so logically, they went looking for him. Eventually, they found him. And when they did, they said, Everyone is looking for you. Now, I don't know exactly what the disciples meant by that statement. But think just a moment about what had happened the night before. Isn't it likely that those who were part of the crowd the previous evening came back and brought others with them? Absolutely. That's completely possible. In fact, it's almost a certainty. They were expecting Jesus to repeat the events of the previous evening. In the response to the report of the disciples, Jesus didn't say, Oh, okay, great. I'll go back with you. We had such a successful ministry there last night. Wasn't it great? Instead, he said, Let's go to the next town so I can preach to them, because that's what I came to do. If you were involved in ministry somewhere, and you were having amazing results like Jesus did, how willing would you be to leave that and go somewhere else? It brings to my mind the account we have in Acts chapter 8 of the evangelist Philip and his ministry in Samaria, how he left the thriving ministry there and eventually led the Ethiopian government official to Christ. I believe there are a couple of reasons that motivated Jesus' early morning prayer time. First of all, successful ministry is like a two-edged sword. It is wonderful to see people saved, to see them healed, forgiven, set free, transformed. When something like that happens, and you and I have the privilege of being a part of it, there's always that temptation to somehow think that it happened because of us. Remember, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 tells us that he, that's Jesus, was tempted in every way just like we are, yet without sin. So if you think that Jesus didn't have to deal with the temptation of pride, then the scriptures aren't true. But I assure you they are true. 
Jesus struggled with pride, but he wanted the approval of his father more than the acclaim of the crowds. In addition, Jesus pointed out later in Mark chapter 9 that his ministry was dependent on prayer and sometimes fasting. Jesus knew that fellowship with his father was more important than a full night's sleep. Now, I'm not suggesting that we abuse our bodies or endanger our health by neglecting adequate rest. But do we understand the connection between prayer and power? You know, we read books on strategy and process. We attend leadership seminars. We map out our goals for the week, maybe for the month, the year, 10 years, maybe beyond that. But what percentage of our plans actually spring out of our fellowship with the Lord in prayer? Are we wanting to know His plans? Or are we asking Him to bless our plans? And by the way, I am speaking as much to myself as to you or anyone else. Believe me, if Jesus felt the need to have fellowship and communion with His Father, then how much more do you and I need them? And yet, I find this is the hardest part of this template to follow. I understand the value of spending time with someone I'm building a relationship with. But too often, that understanding doesn't translate into action in my relationship with Jesus. Do you find it that way too? If so, will you join me in a renewed commitment to make this first part of the template for ministry an integral part of your life? Let's begin today to cultivate our service for the Lord through prayer. The next part of the template for the ministry of the servant is communicated by preaching. In response to the disciples telling Jesus that everyone was looking for him, he said, Let's go to the next towns that I may preach there too, because for this purpose I have come forth. That's a pretty straightforward answer, isn't it? Did you catch the primary reason for Jesus' ministry? He didn't say that it was to heal diseased or disfigured bodies. No, he said it was to preach the gospel of the kingdom. The purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed was to draw the people so that then they could hear the good news. Even the Old Testament prophets predicted this. If you recall, in the synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus quoted from the prophet Isaiah. He read, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So the emphasis of Jesus' ministry wasn't on physical healing, although he did quite a bit of it but it was rather on spiritual and emotional healing. Jesus' goal was to preach the gospel as far and as wide as he possibly could. So he went all over Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And after his earthly ministry was completed, he turned that same responsibility over to you and me and all of his followers. The focus of our ministry, as given to us by Jesus, is to go and make disciples of all peoples. And that ministry is communicated with preaching or proclaiming, teaching, and living out the message of the gospel. You may have noticed that preaching has fallen out of favor somewhat in our time, particularly here in the West. Many worship services today emphasize music at the expense of preaching and teaching of the Word of God. 
And so singers and worship leaders become celebrities, and the teaching of the word is relegated to the end of the service, almost like it's an afterthought. And a lot of ministry is centered around how it makes people feel instead of how the word of God should impact their life and their lifestyle. Much of the preaching is man-centered rather than gospel-centered. And as a result, the church is often weak and powerless. Now, it doesn't matter if you have a formal title as a preacher or teacher or not, because every believer is engaged in ministry, and part of our work is to communicate the truth of God's Word to the people we interact with, whether that's our co-workers, our family, neighbors, friends, people God brings across our path. These can all be ministered to through our service and our witness, and Jesus shows us how to do it. Now, we have some sayings in Christendom that have become cliches, but they're still true. Your life is the only Bible some people will ever read, is one of those. And there's another. What you do speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. You see, both of these center around our actions. But like Jesus, you and I must be willing to speak when we have the opportunity. So I ask you, how are you preaching the word in your ministry. And then the final part of the template for the ministry of the servant is confirmed by compassion. The final vignette in our text is this healing of the leper. As Jesus moves through the towns of Galilee, a leper comes to him, and he falls on his knees before Jesus, Luke says, falling on his face. That was the highest form of homage in the Eastern world. In that position, he pleads with Jesus. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you notice it? He didn't question Jesus' ability. He doesn't say, if you can make me clean. No, he says, if you are willing. I also find it interesting that the leper didn't ask for healing, but rather for cleansing. The Bible treats leprosy as an emblem of sin. So leprosy is never spoken of as being healed, but rather it is spoken of as being cleansed. Think about Naaman bathing in the Jordan River in 2 Kings chapter 5. It seems there was no doubt in this man's mind that Jesus had the power to cleanse him. He had either seen Jesus cure people or heard about his power to heal any disease, any sickness. But what he wasn't sure about was whether or not Jesus was willing to exercise that power for him. Would Jesus stoop so low as to touch and cleanse him? And so you can try to imagine his surprise and the horror of the onlookers when Jesus, in compassion, reached out and touched him. You see, in that time and that setting, this was the ultimate defilement. It was social suicide. And then he used the leper's own words to announce the cleansing. He said, I am willing, be made clean. And just like that, the leprosy was gone, and this man was cleansed. The contact, the command, and the cure all followed each other in rapid succession. Jesus, the Creator, could touch the unclean without becoming unclean himself. I find it interesting that we have no record in Scripture of any Israelite leper cleansed in the 1,500 years since the procedure for cleansing had been given in the book of Leviticus. 
And Jesus attested to this fact in Luke chapter 4 and verse 27. He said, There were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So when this man presented himself at the temple with the required two birds for their cleansing rites, it would have been proof to the priests that God was present among his people in the person of Jesus Christ. Messiah was here. Jesus' further instructions to this man to be quiet about what happened re-emphasized the fact that he didn't want the crowds to come to him primarily for healing. Think about it. If there were many lepers in Israel in Elisha's day, then we can safely assume that there were many lepers in Jesus' day too, since the disease was incurable. If they all flocked to Jesus for healing, it would hinder his primary ministry of preaching the kingdom of God. Now, rather than simply treasuring his gratitude in his heart, this man disobeyed Jesus' command and began to announce publicly what Jesus had done for him. Now, I'm sure his intentions were good, and I can't really find fault with him, but they certainly had a negative consequence for Jesus. He could no longer openly enter the towns and preach because the people would throng to him for healing. There are people in our day who, like this leper, are considered untouchable. And since this text gives us a template for ministry, you and I must be willing to follow the example of our Lord. Am I willing to risk my social standing, my acceptance with my peers, or my self-respectability to touch the life of someone in desperate need? Are you? Do I realize that apart from the grace of God, I am just as untouchable as this leper? I believe this text gives us a template for ministry. Ministry must be cultivated by prayer if it is to be effective. Genuine, lasting change in a person's life can only be accomplished by the power of God, not by any programs or plans that you and I can use. They're useful, they're important, but they are not the means to the end. When we understand that ministry must be cultivated by prayer, we will seek God's approval rather than man's acclaim. And then further, the gospel must be communicated by preaching or by proclamation. When you and I spend time in fellowship with God in prayer, we will be filled with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. We will also recognize that man's greatest need isn't physical, it's spiritual. And it will motivate us to do our part in helping to fulfill the Great Commission. Seeking God's heart in prayer and tapping into his power through preaching will equip us to be moved with compassion on those around us. While we're not Jesus, through his power we can touch those deemed untouchable without becoming polluted by their sin. We can offer to them cleansing through Jesus that is impossible in any other way, and if they accept it, it will transform their lives both now and for eternity. So I urge you, join me in recommitting ourselves to following this template demonstrated so effectively by the ministry of the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, let me walk with thee, my God, as walked in days of old. Place thou my trend. Thank you.
what I presented today has informed and encouraged you. If you'd like to review this teaching or share it with someone else, you can request a copy. It's available either in print or as a digital audio file. Just ask for it by its title, The Ministry of the Servant. The easiest way for you to contact us is by using our email address, hope at heraldsofhope.org. Or you can call us toll-free at 866 9600292 or mail your request to the Voice of Hope Box 3 Breezewood Pennsylvania 15533 and of course you can review today's teaching or listen to archive programs by logging on to our website heraldsofhope.org to help this ministry financially you can send a check by mail or donate securely online at heraldsofhope.org. You can also call our toll-free number, 866-960-0292, to donate by credit or debit card. God's grace, accompanied by your fervent prayers and your generous financial support, will enable the Voice of Hope to be on the air until Jesus comes in the air. And thank you so much to all of you who contributed so generously to our year-end appeal. God bless you. Now, don't forget to join me next week for The Voice of Hope as we continue our study in Mark's Gospel. And until we meet again, I ask you this question. Are you drinking from this fountain? This